Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening Your Marriage podcast. Jeremy and Haley here again. We're at episode three, and we've entitled this episode Enabled to Live a New Reality. Before we unpack that in some detail, I thought we'd recap where we were last week. Last week was rebuilding shattered dreams. And really, I guess what we were talking about is this idea that God takes us through the painful experience of our expectations for marriage going unmet and realizing that marriage wasn't what we had in our heads. It wasn't our ideal dream that we had thought up. But part of that process, there's actually a lot of hope in experiencing that disillusionment uh, because that's God's pathway to helping us to see that there's something better that he has in store for our marriage. And so I guess we spoke a bit about that last week. The nature of these things with conversations is that you chat, you chat some more, and then afterwards things are crystallized further and you're thinking we had a few further thoughts from last week that, that got a bit clearer for us. And I guess what Haley was saying was that you were looking to me, Haley, to mm. to validate you as a person. Yeah. That's really what you were saying, yeah, wasn't it, yeah. at the heart of it? Yeah. Uh, that was a dynamic of what you were looking for. And for me, I was looking for marriage to support really my importance. Mm. So very similar, just different ways of mm. trying to validate ourselves, trying to make ourselves into something that we wanted to be. And Haley, you also had some further thoughts from last week about what it looked like for us continuing to live out um, something better that God's calling us to for marriage and, and particularly being proactive. Yeah, I think something that I was encouraged by in the talks we listened to by Paul Tripp was the example he gave of his marriage with Luella and how she wakes up in the morning and instead of the first thing being on her mind, what have I got to do today? What have I got on? What things are important to me? All of that to do with her, her own sphere, I guess. The first thing that was on her mind was Paul and what his day would be like and how he might be feeling and what his night's rest was like. And I just thought that was quite inspiring and just helpful to think about. It's not just reacting to situations when they come up and you realise that you're still living the old dream and you need yeah. to go, okay, that's not what we want to be doing. Yeah. We need to correct here. It's actually being proactive yeah. and thinking about how can I love this person? Yeah. How can I be thinking about this person in a way yeah. that's wanting their good and yeah. how can I be evaluating where they're at and how I can be a blessing to them and help them and ease things for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so last week you came away with that sense for our conversation that well, we talked a bit about the giving up, the self-focus, yeah, and that's adjusting in the moment when things don't go your way. Yeah. But actually what God's calling us is to something further than that again, yeah, which is yeah. this proactive stance that's deliberately thinking about what's good for the other person yeah. and ahead of time, yes. not, not just responding in the unexpected moments. Yeah. So that's part of it too. Yeah, in the same way that we normally do that for ourselves. Mm. It's always sticking away in the back of our heads kind of thing. Mm. But to do that for others is a very inspiring way to live. Mm. So instead of me being at work, looking forward to heading home and eating some dinner and going through the routines, the things that I might look forward to as if mm. I'm my own person functionally, yeah. functioning as an individual, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. actually thinking about you mm. and your day and the opportunity to catch up with you, the opportunity to catch up with the kids and to hear from them mm. rather than thinking I'm in my own kind of bubble and my own world, who mm. someone who lives independently. It's that yeah. being wrapped up in those who are around me and thinking about them. Mm. Yeah. Related to that, we were talking about how oftentimes we're better at pinpointing the things that are wrong 
or at least mm. that's my natural tendency anyway, mm. pinpointing things that are wrong and seeing where our hearts are going astray mm. and seeing the selfishness and what we need to move away from. And we have some something of a sense of what we should be moving to, but oftentimes we don't have a clear enough vision of, or a specific enough vision of mm. what that looks like on mm. the ground. Mm. And to have that vision in our mind more, I think, would help us to be more captivated by the beauty of God's design and more excited about moving towards it, mm. I think. Mm. So one of my counselling lecturers, David Pallison, has been very formative for me, and he talked about this from to nature of repentance. I don't know what your understanding of the word repentance is. Maybe that's a religious jargony word for you. Often people can think about it as being sorry for things that we've done wrong, but this nature of the word in the Bible is actually this 180-degree turn where you're coming from something and to something else is from producing a thorn to producing a fruit or a flower, something beautiful, and producing something in your life, characteristic, a way of relating that is quite ugly and destructive to actually producing something that's beautiful and good for those around you. And David Pallison talked about the fact that God opens our eyes to see new vistas of experience. And I found that really helpful for, for me. It conjures up places that I think are really beautiful, trips to places like Tasmania that just awaken my sense of beauty, looking out on a scene in front of me that I've not seen before. It's just beautiful. Living the Christian life is, is actually like that God by his spirit opening our eyes to these beautiful realities. And I think what he's saying is that there's something really concrete that ought to capture us about where God's taking us from specific unhelpful patterns of relating in our marriages to specific good ways of relating that are rich and helpful and beneficial that create unity and trust, closeness, those kind of things. Yeah, we've titled this episode Enabled to Live a New Reality. And I guess what we're getting at is that something better that we spoke about last week, that giving up of whatever we imagined marriage to be for the new reality God's wanting to work out in our lives God actually gives us what we need to live that out. And so we're wanting to focus on this idea of God enabling us, God actually helping us. He doesn't leave us on our own. And he doesn't leave us to our poor track record. Perhaps you think of your track record in marriage and think, well, what hope have I got to change? I know that I'm a failure. I, I keep stuffing up. Maybe my, your anger gets the best of you or particular ingrained patterns of controlling others around you, or whatever your unhealthy patterns of response may be, you, you may think you're just trapped and that's all you can ever live up to. But God actually gives us resources to carve out a new way of living. And yeah, we're wanting to focus on that. So I guess we're wanting to ask you as the listener, hopefully you're able to, to listen if you are married together with your partner and just discuss this, but it's still going to be really helpful, I think, if you think about this on your own. The first question is, what does a new reality of marriage look like for you? What does a new reality of marriage look like for you? And maybe you could pick something quite specific, one scene of your life where you know that things tend to go wrong where you're prone to an unhealthy pattern of response. And sit down and think about that. What would that look like if you responded in a healthy way instead? What would that mean in that very situation? My second question for you is, what does it mean for you to know that God enables you 
to live that new reality? What does it mean for you to know that God enables you to live that new reality? I guess these two questions are really going to shape some of the things we're going to be talking about from our first-hand experience of what God's been doing in us and where we're at at the moment, where we've still got a ways to go in growing in our marriage. I say, Haley, one of the things that struck you from the Paul Tripp seminars we've been watching was this idea of a new way of living and the kind of picture that the Bible does create, this Mm. idea that Paul Tripp talks about of having the marriage of your dreams. Mm. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, so he's talking about a passage in the Bible that talks about what it means to live the new reality that, that God has for us. So it's Galatians chapter 5, and he talks about the characteristics, I guess, that come from living God's way. So in Galatians five sixteen, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the idea is that God, by his spirit, helps us as weak people who on our own are unable to do what it takes to live this fruitful, healthy kind of way in a marriage. That's just not what comes naturally to us. That's kind of the destructive patterns are the patterns of the flesh, this pattern of self, self-orientation that approaches marriage and, and comes with selfish dreams that, that actually really don't, don't work and don't match the way God's made a marriage to work. There's this alternative and it's being equipped, being enabled, being empowered by the person of God's spirit who changes us to live in new ways. And so Haley was kind of gripped by some of what those new ways are in this passage. And maybe you're familiar with it, but maybe you haven't actually thought about how that might reshape your relationship with your spouse. So Haley, do you want to share a bit more about that? Yeah, I guess the picture he was painting of living that way was just drawing out the characteristics that, that the passage talks about as coming to characterize us as we live by the spirit rather than our normal selfish way. And just talking about what it would be like to live in a marriage that's like that. So it talks about love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And just what it would be like to have a spouse who was like that, who was mm. always loving. Mm was always joyful, who loved peace, who was willing to bear with difficult things <laughs> mm. in the other person, who was mm. always kind, who was always good, who was completely faithful, who was always gentle and always self-controlled, that that is exactly the kind of spouse that you would want to have and want to be. And that's the things that come to characterise your marriage mm. as you listen to God and begin to live out his new pattern. Yeah, as he enables you by his spirit Mm. rather than living the old dream that we talked about last week. Mm. So I guess let's just unpack some of those words with a bit of concreteness. Mm. So peace is probably something that God has been forming in us. And the way I understand that is that kind of peace the Bible wants is not something superficial, but it's the ability to have robust conversations Mm. so that real peace can be established. Mm. And that's working through differences That's something that we've been learning to do as the trust in our marriage has grown so that a real peace can exist between us. Uh, And I tend to be a conflict avoider. So do I, yeah. (laughs) So we tend to be like have a superficial or a a fake peace. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The difference is between keeping the peace that's superficial Mm. or or making peace, which is Mm. something something deeper. 
that's happy to put up with some disruption and some feeling uncomfortable mm. and there being some tension in order that something deeper might be built yeah. and the relationship might be, might be founded on something more solid and yeah. dependable. So you come to more unity rather than just superficially not having conflict. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess um, another thing that struck me was the idea of joy and that's been something that I think God's been putting his finger on in me. Paul Tripp talked about the DNA of joy being thankfulness mm. and I never thought of myself as being an un ungrateful person but I think I can be I can tend to look at the negative of things mm. and just the deliberate pattern of thankfulness mm. being what produces joy and I mm. think that's been a huge thing for me in our marriage as well mm. I remember at one point feeling unappreciated by you and then mm. I turned the question back on myself and thought well do I appreciate you <laughs> mm. and from that point uh, yeah I thought well actually I think I can be quite negative. And from that point, the decision to actually be deliberately thankful mm. grew into in really enjoying you mm. <laughs> and seeing so much good that was always there but I wasn't always seeing. It's yeah. mm. mm. helpful. Yeah, there's this idea of forbearance which can also be translated as patience or endurance. I guess what that brings up for me is not having that immediate response of anger or frustration in those little things that go wrong. Would it be okay to share this, Haley? You would say you tend to be quite forgetful <laughs> and yep. the number of times keys have gone <laughs> lost in our marriage has been quite, quite a, a lot. <laughs> and so it's easy in those moments for my first response to, to construct this interpretation, which is, if only Haley wasn't like X, but like Y. <laughs> but over time, God's building a, a patience, a realization of the fact that we all have different strengths and weaknesses, and maybe remembering specific things isn't one of Haley's, and the need to be okay when things like that happen, and to be patient and to endure. It's kind of bearing with one another's weaknesses rather than seeing that as putting you out and, and looking for the good that God's wanting to do in me personally when things go wrong. There was an occasion recently where Haley would accidentally taken my set of keys with her off to the school drop-off and I needed a set of keys for my bike so I could lock it up when I got to work. And I felt that tendency to get worked up and riled up over the situation. I knew it was going to make me late. I was going to need to wait for her to get back before I could ride into work. But this sense... God, God calming me in that moment, me accepting the reality that this situation was beyond my control, and then in that moment, God was doing me good in having to sit uh, still before leaving the office. And this wasn't primarily a, a pattern of blaming Haley and pointing the finger and an entitled attitude where I had the right to be angry and how dare you do something like that. <laughs> that was learning to be calm and to work through that unexpected, small, trivial moment <laughs> together for one another's good uh, rather than to get wound up and distressed. I guess faithfulness was one that probably challenged me a bit with Paul, Paul Tripp's talks. I think because sometimes I'm wanting to please you and particularly when my workload has spiralled out of control 
in recent weeks at, at work, I might want to give you an earlier indication of when I'm going to get home than when I actually get home. And part of that, part of that's that I'm just not very good at estimating time, but part of that is wanting to please you, but, but inevitably by not setting a realistic expectation, I cannot follow, be able to follow through on what I say, but just this goodness in being honest with one another. I've started to try not to give the same degree of time frames, just to say that I don't know, I'm stuck here. I don't know. It's being more helpful. And yeah, there's something that's just really good about being able to trust someone's words to you and knowing that they'll follow through on what they say. Mm, yeah. Just thinking about gentleness as well. I think just what I was talking about last week in terms of my expectations for marriage, a big difference between um, raising mm. an issue because I felt hurt mm. and I wanted you to understand how hurt I felt mm. or I wanted you to change mm. something like raising something for your good mm. and coming with that as my primary desire completely changes how I bring it up. Mm. And I think gentleness is something that comes from that different place because mm. I think when it came out with a lot of emotion, it was actually really hurtful and hard for you to hear. Mm. Whereas when I'm able to come, yeah, more gently and with your good in mind, mm and raise it maybe more, more slowly or in a more edited way, mm. having thought it through more and what is going to be helpful, mm. that makes a big difference mm. to the kind of conversation that comes from that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think self-control is a huge one about that as well, and it relates to things that I might bring up. I think I have a tendency towards anger, and going with my emotions when something goes wrong, something's not going my way, I get riled up. But I guess self-control is learning to be more measured in how I respond and not going with that instinctual first response or letting that initial emotional reaction to something just sit for a while before I do anything mm. with it. That's part of self-control. I guess the nature of not having self-control, the nature of going with anger when it's unreasonable is that it becomes inflammatory. Mm. One of the things Paul Tripp says is about the fact that we can take things personally that weren't intended to be mm. personal. And then when we do that and we're, we're angry, mm. it actually kind of starts a war mm. with the other person. We make them our enemy. And there's yeah. this big gap that forms between you and you're actually against one another yeah. rather than together working through whatever the problem or trouble issue is yeah. in front of you. And so I think self-control is, is a huge part of that, of learning mm -hmm. to rein in whatever that typical default instinctive first response might be, yeah. learning to hold back and think through how you can not take something personally, but how you can work through it constructively if that's something that's been raised by the other person, yeah. something that feels like criticism and makes you want to, jump up and down and defend yourself, learning to take a deep breath, to stay calm, to think how hard it might have been for you to raise that thing that you've raised or over time to realise that there's a characteristic pattern of you seeking my good, that you only raise things because you want to do good, you want closeness in our marriage. 
remembering those kind of things can be helpful rather than the situation being inflamed. Responding in the destructive path is like throwing petrol on a fire. Yeah. It goes out of control. Yeah. So self-control is, is pretty crucial. Mm. So Jeremy, there's a particular passage that had a big impact on you in mm. terms of things turning around mm. in our marriage. Did you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I guess it wasn't just marriage either. It was kind of all of life. It was pretty groundbreaking for me. Mm. There's this passage in the Bible to Peter, chapter 1, 3 and 4, and God talks about his power being given to us, him giving us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. I guess in a nutshell, what that means is that God doesn't call me to live a certain way without giving me what I need to do it, what I need to live it out. Mm-hmm. And why that's really powerful for me is that I, I got stuck in a place where I'd respond to situations and I'd throw my hands up in the air thinking, this is rubbish. What's happening to me right now is rubbish. And I came to see that that's kind of a subset of grumbling, this attitude that's like throwing things back in God's face and saying, no, I don't want this. I don't want to face this. This isn't what I want right now. But related to things that Haley shared earlier in the series, I learned to separate out what happened to me, external situations, which might be hard things to my response. If you, if you hear that response, this is rubbish. It kind of sounds like I'm a passive victim that's just controlled by whatever happens to me. Uh, but actually the Bible says I'm an active responder to what happens to me. And I guess part of that thinking this is rubbish and and then hearing the Bible's teaching of knowing that God's calling me to something else, it's like this responsible, I I can't do it. I can't. That was my inner world, my self-talk. I was saying, I can't. But this passage kind of came at a really critical time and it it broke through that because what it actually says is I can. I can, not not by my strength. So, So where this is different to the power of positive thinking, if you've heard that kind of school of thought, it's, it's not just changing an I can't to an I can and trying to convince myself that somehow I'm able to manufacture new patterns of behavior and responding to life and relating. But it's actually God promises to give me just what I need in the moment to respond in new, helpful ways. He's given me everything that I need for life and godliness. I guess that was in that last passage, Galatians 5, walking by the Spirit. It's this idea of God's Spirit giving us power and and new ways to live, giving us his resources for a new life. And for me for a while, like I I sat in that passage, but kind of didn't didn't impact me. I was like, well, how do you get in touch with the power? I need, like I spent time praying. I thought, you know, somehow I'll feel different. But, But actually, I think it was a change in mindset. And it was just knowing that, in situations where I knew I wasn't responding in the way God wanted me to, to as a parent or in our, in our relationship, instead of that response of saying, well, I can't do that, was actually right now God's given me what I need to do what he's calling me to do. It's a shift in mindset. I have everything I need to live out this new response. So for me, one of the things I've found difficult is having crowded evenings. Now we've got three kids the evenings feel more crowded and sometimes I'm getting home a little bit later from work than what I used to 
and there's quite a bit of pressure in those evening times, having dinner, maybe feeding Amber, perhaps bathing the kids if that hasn't happened yet, helping them with a bit of a wind-down routine with stories and, and praying with them before bed, that kind of thing. The things that are important. And I think before I used to resent all of that and think that that's not what I signed up for. I wanted more time to myself and I'd convince myself that that's what I really needed. Whereas I've started to realise that, that no, that the good God's calling me to do, like that's at the heart of it, those times, those crowded evenings are not things to be pushed aside and seen as disruptions, but actually the critical place where meaningful interaction and relationship happens both with our kids and with one another. And so I'm learning to handle the unexpected of a late bedtime or, you know, a visitor coming or a phone call. Even once we've got the kids down, when I, when I thought it might be quieter, I'm learning to handle that mm. better. Mm. And you talked about before um, the connection between your relationship with God and relationship with others, and particularly a psalm that you sat with. Yeah, so I think that idea of wanting to escape and run away from my situation, that's kind of idea of a crowded evening and that being not what I wanted, I've come to realise that actually there's a very close relationship between loving God and loving others. And so those crowded evenings are where my love for God is worked out in practice as I deal with something you might ask me to do in the middle of the kids' routine or one of the kids is having trouble at the toilet or whatever it is, in that moment, by loving them and dealing with what's come up, I'm actually loving God. <laughs> mm. And I guess that whole idea of being stripped back of my desires, I spent a bit of time in Psalm 131, and I, I love that psalm. It's David, who was king of Israel, who is in a very powerful, influential position, says that he's learned what it is to, to not be proud. Mm. He's contented himself like a weaned child. And I guess the counter picture of that is this restless, fussing child just set on having milk and determined to have what they want and restless, crying, upset, worked up until they get it. Uh, but he says he's not like that. He's like a weaned child, learned to be content. I gather that means his desires have been stripped back. I think, I think God's been doing something like that in me. And part of it's been understanding that at the same time as some of those things that I was wanting too much, he's, he's actually been giving me just what I need to handle those crowded evenings, those tricky points in life that I had been a bit daunted by. Mm. He's actually giving me exactly what I need to, to, to live out what he's calling me to do. <laughs> mm, mm. Mm. And I guess the idea of God's agenda being transformation for us and mm. he's got something better for us mm. he's transforming us into something mm. beautiful something mm. um yeah that we were made for mm. and that all those times are orchestrated for that purpose mm. and those relationships are orchestrated for that purpose as well mm. Mm. yeah so last week i mentioned that another thing that paul trips likes to say is that sin is antisocial, and i can see that when i desire that space on my own too much like i imagine a father who's like that all the time he just does his own thing and is not involved with kids or a husband he does that like that's that's my default tendency mm. but god's giving me a desire and a picture of something different mm. that's so much better for those around me mm. 
um, and that just enriches our relationships within the family and our relationship with one another. Mm, yeah. So hopefully this has been helpful for you. I guess in taking this truth of being enabled to live a new reality in your marriage, taking that and making it personal, I want to recap those questions I asked earlier. I think it'd be really helpful if you could chat about this with your partner. If not, at least bring this to God. Speak to him about it. Get a pen and paper and write out your thoughts. The two questions were, what does a new reality of marriage look like for you? Perhaps you want to open up Galatians chapter 5 and look at those fruits of the Spirit and ask yourself, what are those particular character qualities? What would they look like in the details of my marriage? And the second question was, what does it mean for you to know God enables you to live this new reality? Knowing that he doesn't call you to it without giving you what you need to do it. Thanks for tuning in again. Just to reiterate, if there's anyone out there who uh, would like to catch up with me at some point and talk about marriage stuff, I'm available. Again, I work as a pastoral counsellor for the Joshua Tree at Petersham and Ashfield Presbyterian Church, and I'm available to meet up. So feel free to get in touch. You can email me at jeremy at thejoshuatree.com.au.